This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Mr. Baker, how far I came mm-hmm. and how far I'm going is amazing to myself. This week, I had the honor of speaking with Yolanda Silvera, a survivor of New Jersey serial killer Noah Cuevas, as well as Detective Joseph Giuliano, who worked her case. After the attack, Yolanda was left in a coma for six months, and doctors were unsure whether or not she would ever be able to walk or talk ever again, or even if she would survive. Almost 17 years later, Yolanda has made a remarkable recovery and continues to inspire everyone she meets. If you haven't done so already, be sure to listen to this incredible story. Today, we welcome Fox News Headlines 24-7 anchor Gianna Gelosi. As you know, the Fox True Crime Podcast has promised to bring you the most compelling true crime stories. Now we double down on that pledge. Each Thursday, Gianna will join me to keep you up to date on cases that have just broken or are still developing as we speak. Gianna, welcome to the Fox True Crime Podcast. Thank you so much, Emily. Now, we do have plenty to bring you this week, but first I wanted to compliment you on your interview with Yolanda and Detective Giuliano on Tuesday. It was a really compelling conversation. She was the final victim of a serial killer, Noah Cuevas, but not because she died, but because she lived. Tell me about your conversation with her. Right. She was the final would-be murder victim of a horrific serial killer. After he brutally assaulted her and shot her in the head, he left her for dead. She was found the next morning with barely a pulse, was in a coma for six months and remarkably woke up. And not only did she wake up, but, you know, she reports she heard everything during those six months. So she heard in her hospital room during her coma, she heard the doctor saying that perhaps they should, quote, pull the plug because her life wouldn't be worth living. She talked about how they said that she would be a vegetable She also talked about how her family believed in her. She heard her mother's voice. She heard her mother talking about how Yolanda was a mother, that she had her children to live for. Her aunt said, squeeze my hand if you can hear me. And she talks about how she did that. She squeezed her hand. So her story today, the fact that she went on not only to defy all of the scientific and medical odds to survive, to walk and to talk, but to also testify at that monster's trial that she was left for dead by him, but went on to be the one that put him in jail for life and more. That is the true miracle of this story. It's like the ultimate survivor story. And she saved who knows how many other countless people that could have been victims of this guy. And you said it's been 17 years since that night. And she's come a long way in her recovery. Right. The first time she did an interview with the media, she was in full-time assisted care. Uh, She was living in a care facility where it was a full-time nurse and physician staff, and she was unable to live independently. And when I had the honor of chatting with her, she was chatting to me from her own apartment. 
So making that huge leap toward her independence. And as she says, and to your point, to continue to encourage and inspire others, she says, what I've done, she says, I amaze myself. And I think I, I, I think I speak for millions when I say she amazes us too. And what stuck out most to you when you were talking to her about this incredible story? The enormity of her faith, the unwavering faith that she displayed at that time and every day since that she's never taken no for an answer. She says, the physician said that I, you know, I wouldn't walk. She said, I knew that there was a higher power than them. And I knew that that is why I would walk again. And you also spoke to Detective Joseph Giuliano. What was his part in this case? Right. He, he really provided such a remarkable law enforcement perspective. So he reports getting that case, inheriting it that morning when the call came in that this woman was found um, almost dead. And it was actually initially reported as a homicide. And then he, through good police work, identified and apprehended the suspect and then brought him, you know, to justice along with her. But as he says, he says, this is the Yolanda Silvera story. This is not just another story about the great works of law enforcement, although, of course, this represents that, too. But he always points all of the attention and, and all of that, again, that remarkable takeaway on her story of survival and how she was the one that by testifying at trial was able to put this monster away. Gianna, you've got a great interview coming up. Tell me more about your guest. Yeah, so I spoke with Nicole Snell, who's the CEO of Girls Fight Back. And, you know, the weather's getting warmer and you might be out hiking or running. And we just spoke about how to stay safe when you're a woman or anyone really and going outdoors and how to, you know, trust your gut when the situation might be bad. And this all comes in light of a hiker in Arizona recently being killed on a hiking trail that she knew well in broad daylight. So we just discuss steps you can take to keep yourself safe. For more of the Fox True Crime podcast, be sure to go to Fox News Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts. We'll be back with more after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On April 29th, 2023, 29-year-old Lauren Hakey was found dead along a community hiking trail in Phoenix, Arizona, right by where she lived. Now, hiking and exercise were two activities loved by Lauren. And while she was new to the area, she quickly familiarized herself with the trail by her apartment complex. During what should have been a routine hike that morning, Lauren was chased over a barbed wire fence and attacked from behind. Lauren died from the injuries of that attack. Her body was found with 15 stab wounds. On Thursday, May 4th, police arrested 22-year-old Zion William Teasley in connection with Lauren's murder. Teasley has a violent past with an extensive criminal record with charges including robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, and kidnapping. The nature of Lauren's murder in broad daylight along a popular hiking trail sent shockwaves across the country. Many hikers have been left uneasy, wondering what cautionary measures they should take in order to go about their hobby. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Snell, a self-defense expert and the CEO of Girls Fight Back, a safety and empowerment program dedicated to providing women and young girls with the tools they need to protect themselves from danger. And Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. Tell me a little bit more about Girls Fight Back. 
Gianna, thank you for having me. So um, Girls Fight Back was founded in 2001 by a woman named Erin Weed in honor of her friend Shannon McNamara, who was murdered in her off-campus apartment. And Erin started the company because she wanted to help give women their peace back and to help teach simple and practical violence prevention strategies so that women did not have to feel like they had to limit their life or restrict their activities out of fear. And so I got involved with the company in 2014 and purchased it in 2020. And so what I do is I travel around the world and I deliver keynotes and seminars and workshops to groups and to gender inclusive audiences as well uh, with violence prevention and empowerment training, self-defense and boundary setting education. And my goal is to help people live their lives without limits. I like that line that you guys have that's uh, we don't want to avoid preparing for the possibility of violence by pretending it doesn't exist because it's a reality when you're going outside or as a woman by yourself, if you're going out on a hike or on a run and we see it in the news all the time. Um, even my boyfriend, I was going out for a run and he was like, why do you take your phone with you? Why don't you just use your watch? I'm like, I'm not leaving the house without my phone, you know, just as a little added safety measure. So what are some, uh, yeah. what are some ways that if you're going out on a run or a hike, now that the weather is getting warmer, what steps could you take before you leave your house to ensure a safe adventure? Yeah. So I think first of all, it starts with mindset. So I used to solo run all the time. Now I solo hike and I also solo travel and I solo camp. And all of those are activities that people say, oh, you know, women shouldn't do them by themselves and it's just dangerous and you're asking for trouble. And I have been doing it my whole life and I will continue to do it. And I will continue to encourage others to do it if that's what they want to do. Because, you know, like you said, violence is something that is a reality in our world. And until there is no more violence, in the world, then learning strategies for how to protect ourselves and how to manage our safety and our boundaries is going to be a gift. And these are life-saving skills. So before you get ready to go out on a solo run or a solo hike, the first thing that I do when I'm going to go solo is I just make sure someone knows where I am just, you know, in case I twist my ankle and need a ride, or, you know, I face something that's, you know, potentially dangerous. I just want someone to have an idea of where I'm going to be. And then, um, it's, it's really about mindset of knowing, you know what, if I, encounter someone who has bad intentions or is being manipulative or coercive or rude or inappropriate that I have verbal and physical strategies that I can use to manage the situation and get to safety if I need to, or if it's a worst case scenario and you have to use your body to defend yourself, you're fully capable of being able to do that. So let's start with those verbal uh, strategies that you were mentioning. If you encounter someone that's maybe, you know, the vibes are off and you feel that they might have bad intentions, what are some things you can do verbally to get yourself to a better place? Yeah. So one thing you can do is trust that intuition. So whether or not the person is actually saying something that's inappropriate, or you just get that vibe, that weird feeling, trust that feeling. And so often, especially for us women, we are told that we should ignore that feeling, or we're just being, you know, hypervigilant, or we're just imagining things. And instead, intuition is designed to protect us from danger. There's a great book all about intuition by Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear. And so if someone is approaching and you have that feeling, face them, keep them at a distance. And if they are encroaching on your space, you can say, back up, give me more space, or I don't want to talk to you or leave me alone or stop, or even just no. And you don't have to ask and you don't have to apologize. You can simply be assertive. Yes. Yeah, stand your ground. And now what about the, you were talking about the physical side. 
Yeah. So, so much of self-defense is not physical. And that is sometimes when I'm doing sessions and, and people talk, we talk about self-defense and, you know, it automatically comes to the fighting part and that's a part of it. But so much of what we do on a daily basis to manage our safety is not physical. We are setting boundaries with the people in our life, our friends, our colleagues, our coworkers, our family, our intimate partners, strangers on the street. And we are trusting our intuition. We're using our situational awareness. We're doing what we can throughout the day to just and manage our safety. And so the physical aspect is important. It's not the main thing. It's not what we do all the time, but it's important because when we can understand how powerful our body is and that we are fully equipped 24 seven with the weapons on our body to be able to protect ourselves, it can change how you walk through the world. And it can give you that confidence to walk out into the world and know, okay, if I face something, I have a range of of skills and options for responding in a way that works for me so that I can feel empowered doing what I want to do. So your whole body is a weapon, Gianna, every, every part of it, especially your voice, like your voice is your first weapon. So would you say the first step is just kind of cultivating that confidence? So you're going about with this like air of confidence, like, don't mess with me. I know what I'm doing. I'm even if you don't yes. know what you're doing, I feel like that's <laughs> what I try to do in the city. You know what I mean? I'm on the subway, like mean mugging, like I'm not the one. Absolutely. Confidence and confident body language is key. Making eye contact, not staring and giving people weird eyes, but just looking, you know, just enough so that they can see you. And there's been so many studies on body language and, you know, crime deterrence. And that's a big part of it because assailants are looking for who they consider to be vulnerable or they purposely are trying to push through our boundaries to create that vulnerability. And that's their tactics that they're using on us. And so we have our own tactics to deploy when they are doing that to manage our safety and to let them know I'm not the one and confident body language. And that assertiveness is one of the first things that we have at our disposal. And do you think there's like a mantra or saying that someone could like keep in their head, like even if they're nervous, you know what I mean? To like keep that confidence up when they're out in the yes. world. Yes. The, the mantra would be I'm worth fighting for. Fighting's not just physical. I'm worth fighting for could mean I'm worth standing up for. I'm worth setting boundaries for. I'm worth saying what I need instead of taking care of someone else's needs all the time. I'm worth putting myself in a situation where I feel most comfortable and I'm worth physically defending if that's what I need to do to ensure my safety. And uh, what would you say to someone that might be like hesitant about taking a self-defense class? Maybe they're like, I'm not a violent person. I don't want to, you know what I mean? What would you tell them? Oh, absolutely. This, this happens a lot when people come to my sessions. And when I do sessions for the outdoors, uh, this often comes up. And so it's, it's not about violence. It's about us owning the fact that we deserve to be safe. We deserve to live our lives and not experience violence. And that if someone has bad intentions and someone is threatening our safety, then we have every right to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And so what I teach is known as empowerment-based self-defense. And that starts from the premise that we understand that criminals and the perpetrators are the only ones responsible for crime survivors and victims are never the ones responsible for a crime that happens to them. And from that framework, we teach simple and practical and applicable skills that are options for us for managing our safety on the daily. So the things like your boundaries and your intuition and trusting your awareness and you know, having those verbal skills, identifying when someone's trying to be manipulative or when someone's trying to be coercive or when someone, you know, sends you those bad vibes and you need to 
to get to safety. It's having those range of skills that brings the empowerment of knowing like, okay, I don't have to go around elbowing people in the face that make me uncomfortable, right? That's not realistic, but understanding that there's a range of a range of ways for us to manage our safety because we're in a range of situations daily, you know, relationships are dynamic. The world is a great spectrum of encounters and by giving people some simple tools that they can apply to their life in a way that works for them, then they can walk through the world with more confidence and not feel like they have to restrict their activities or their lives or their passions because of fear. And have you found in doing these classes with Girls Fight Back that there are any uh, misconceptions about self-defense classes? Yeah. You know, the biggest misconception is that it's all about physical skills and that's not what most self-defense is like on a daily basis. That's not what we're using every day. Like I have years of, of self-defense training and physical training, and that's not what I use every day. Um, I've had to use my skills when I faced a situation a, a couple of years ago, but I didn't actually have to fight, but I used all those other skills. And I think that's the biggest misconception that self-defense means punching and kicking and things like that. It's part of it, learning how to use your body is a big part of it, but that is not the main thing that we use every day. And when I introduce that knowledge to folks, then it makes it a little bit more accessible because you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to have years of training. You don't have to be a black belt. You don't have to be coordinated. You know, I teach classes to children, so anybody can learn how to use their body. We're going to take a quick break. More of the Fox True Crime podcast after this. And you mentioned having to experience this, unfortunately, in your own life. Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah, I'm okay with sharing the story. So a couple of years ago, it was 2021. It was Christmas. <laughs> it was the holiday. I was visiting Madrid with a friend. We were there for the holiday and it was Christmas Eve. And we had just finished eating at a restaurant that our hotel had recommended. We walked there. And when we were finished, we decided that we would take an, uh, a ride share back to our hotel. Just, you know, it was 10 o'clock. It wasn't late. There were still people out. Lights were on, you know, people eat dinner very late in Spain. And so we called the, uh, the ride share and we waited until it was close. We left the restaurant. And as soon as I left the restaurant with my friend, I just got a feeling just stepping out into the street. I just got a feeling that something wasn't right. And I heightened up my awareness and I'm looking around and I don't notice anything out of the ordinary, but I, I turned to my friend and I said, yeah, things are, it just feels a little weird weird. We should get out of here. And she was like, yeah, of course we're, we're, we're getting into our ride chair. Like it's going to be fine. So we walked down the street and got walked to where we could pick up the ride share. And we were out there, not even three minutes, three, you know, three to five minutes, the car comes, we check the license plate. It's our car. My friend gets into the back seat first. I opened the door so she could get in. And then before I could get into the car, I looked to my right side and I saw a man running towards me, just full speed, hands and fists. His face just was so angry. And I knew in that moment that I was not going to have time to get in the car, slide across the seat, close the door and lock it before he reached me because he was coming way too fast. And there was nowhere for me to run to. Like I'm in the middle of a, an area of Madrid I'm not familiar with. I don't know where safety is. And so I did what I am trained to do. And what I train others to do in my programs is I just turned and I faced him straight on with my hands up in front of my face. I call it the power stance. And I just said, Hey, what's going on? I didn't even think about what to say. That's just what came out. <laughs> hey, what's going on? And I thought, okay, this is going to be the time I'm going to have to fight and use my physical skills because he was coming at me with such aggression. But as soon as I faced him, he stopped and he just looked at me. He was about 
three feet or so away from me too close, but he stopped and there was nowhere for me to go from there. Like I couldn't get in the car. I couldn't run away. So I just faced him and I just said again, Hey, what's going on? And he never answered me. He never asked me a question. He never said a word to me. He didn't try to rob me, nothing. He just looked at me and he kind of tried to walk around me my friend's in the car and she says, why aren't you getting in the car? Like, what's going on? And I told her, you know, I called over my shoulder. I'm like, there's a problem. And then she looked around my body and she saw him. So like, I can't leave where I am. Like the car door is open behind me. So safety is two feet away, but I can't get there in time. And if I left the door and the door would be open, then my friend is, is there's nothing stopping him from, you know, jumping into the car or something. So I just stayed where I was. And I asked him again, Hey, what's going on? And he didn't rush in to attack me. Like he didn't close the distance to me, but what he did is he leaned back and he tried to kick me in my face. Oh my gosh. And I had, because I had my hands up, all he did was he kicked my open palm. If my hand had been down, it would have caught me right on the side of my jaw or like on my like collar blown in my neck. Like that's how close he was and how hard he kicked me. My whole hand was lobster red, but there was no scrapes, no abrasions. Like I wasn't injured. It was just hard smack to my hand. And I was like, okay, this is it. But before I could do anything else, two men ran from the side to just, I don't know where they came from. They ran from the side yelling at this guy. The Uber driver gets out of the car and he rushes at the guy. And as they are all like, you know, there's all this commotion and they're like yelling, yelling. I ran around behind the back of the car and I got in on the other side and I closed the door. My friend closed her door. We locked it. And she's saying, oh my gosh, your face, like, are you okay? He hit you. And I was like, no, no, no. It was just my hand. It was just my hand. I'm okay. And then a few seconds later, the driver came back and we drove away. And, and that was the end of the scenario. And I know that it was my training that saved my life because it's not necessarily intuitive to turn and face a threat, right? The idea is, oh, I got to try to hurry up and get in the car for, for a lot of people. And maybe that would have worked and maybe it wouldn't have, but I turned and faced the threat because I wanted to see what was happening. And it's, it's better for me to have all my weapons facing the threat. If that's, that's something I could do. If that's possible, that's going to be my best case scenario for a fight is facing the threat. So I turned and faced him and I feel like just my, that confident body language was enough to pattern interrupt him because that's likely not the response he was expecting. And because of the training, because I was able to stay calm, I trusted my intuition. I used my awareness. I had my hands up ready to go. All of those things are what helped keep me safe. And I ended up not even having to fight, like use my skills and the best fights, the one you never have to fight. And I've been you know, teaching for years before this happened, but it really just solidified in me why I do this work. It's because we cannot always predict when we may be faced with violence and it can come from somebody that we don't expect. It can come from people we know. In fact, for women, it's most of the time when we face violence, it's from somebody we know. But even though all those things are true, it doesn't mean we have to live in fear because instead we can be prepared, right? We can have these skills. We can have these options available to us so that if we face something, then we can decide for ourselves what's the best way to respond. And we can have options there and ready for us to use if we need to. Well, I'm sorry you had that experience, but I'm glad you trusted your gun on that. You know, I think to keep in mind, it's not always anxiety. Sometimes it is actually intuition trying to give you a little lending hand into uh, how to uh, handle a situation or what the vibes of a situation are. Um, if uh, someone wanted more information on your courses or uh, some of the tips and strategies that you offer, where could they find that? 
Yeah. So they can visit my website. They can go to NicoleSnell.com. That's my first name and last name, NicoleSnell.com or girlsfightback.com. I'm also on YouTube. I have a series called Outdoor Defense, where I talk specifically about self-defense and safety for outdoor solo adventurers. And so that's Nicole Snell, Outdoor Defense on YouTube. And then on my website, you can find all my social media uh, pages as well. I am Girls Fight Back on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook. And then I'm Adventures of Nick, and that's N-I-K on Instagram for my personal page. Awesome. So the moral of the story, carry yourself with confidence, let someone know you're going out and face the threat, fight or flight, fight it. Absolutely. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.